If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 275. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hey. 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 Very, very nice of you to join me. <laughs> Thank you. Here uh, on time. Sure. Whoa. I um, I know where this is really going. really appreciate you being here to support me um, and doing this, this team activity, like, together, you know, like, on the same page. Here I really... Here we go. (laughs) So um, we were very fortunate to be asked uh, to be on The Night Show. It's like a a regional late night TV talk show um, hosted by Danny Cashman. And uh, it was was really nice to be asked to be on their Halloween episode. Yes. He said that we were probably the most appropriate Halloween guests he'd ever had, which made me feel... Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what I want to be associated with. Thank you very much. Um, so we had a great time. Uh, it was overall a great success. There were some road bumps, though. After we left, I was like, okay, so I feel like you were a bit distracted today. And we had a discussion. And I was like, I just feel like you weren't there with me. And then we ended up being late for the show. And you were like, no, we weren't. And I was like, um... Yeah, no, we we were. Mm, so we were, yeah. we, they they said our names and the walk-on was supposed to happen and we were late. And you were like, no, we weren't. <laughs> I was like, okay, well. Well, okay, what happened was I thought we were taping at 7 o'clock. At 6 o'clock, I see the intro run on the monitor in the uh, green room and I'm thinking, oh, they must be doing the run through. Mm-hmm. And so I'm on my phone scrolling away. And then the uh, PA comes and knocks on the door and says, okay, come on, guys, we're ready. And I thought maybe it was a run through or something. So I said, okay, hang on, I got to pee. Mm-hmm. At that moment, I noticed the look on the PA's face was of terror. 
And I was like, are you? Oh, okay. Uh, so she was like, well, we're just going to take you then. And I said, okay. So I walked out to the entry point uh, for the, the show, like where you go out onto the stage. And uh, the band was playing the <laughs> intro music. Yeah. And uh, the host, Danny Cashman, said, uh, and uh, here with us tonight from the podcast, The Box of Oddities, Jethro Gilligan-Toth and Cat Walls. And I just looked back at the people behind the scenes. I was peeing. You know, he could have potted up my lav mic. I had a wireless mic on. He could have heard me peeing. I said, he's peeing. <clears throat> I I didn't know. So they had to start the 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 whole the band over thing over again, again. Yeah. and reintroduce <clears throat> us and at this point JG's come out so he's all like all right here we go and i would just look at him like mm-hmm, yeah here we go okay <laughs> anyway we had a great time the end <laughs> It was great. The thing is, yeah. like, I had peed uh, earlier, too. I with, thought I had an hour. Yeah. Um, and I, the whole time I was just going, don't listen to me pee. If you have me mic'd up, don't listen to me pee. That's not pee. Uh, so that way, if yeah. they did have me potted up, they were not just hearing me pee, but also hearing me sing badly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we've discussed before, I have a bladder the size of a Barbie doll head. And, yep. And it's kept me from... Well, long road trips. It's like one of those commercials for bladder control medicine. Yeah, like right. it keeps me from doing the things I love. We did have a great time. And thank you so much to Danny Cashman for having us. Quick note, uh, you and I have both been a little sinusy the yeah, last couple yeah. of days. So a uh, quick apology at, if the, at any point we... Um, sound weird or dip out of the segment or um, just start like aggressively clearing our throat. That's why. In the distant past, the human brain suddenly doubled in power. Why? It was about 100,000 years ago. I know why. Because we just watched a documentary about it. Space aliens? <laughs> no. No. No, that's no. not what you're doing. No. no. No, it's not what I'm doing. There is a hypothesis that says that 100,000 years ago, a bunch of apes got stoned. Oh? Suddenly their mind was open to new concepts. Yes, yes. They became like really aware of the world around them in a different way. It's the stoned ape theory. I love it. And it was first put forward by Terrence McKenna. In his book, Food for the Gods, McKenna proposed, this is according to Wikipedia, that the transformation from humans' early ancestors, Homo erectus, to the species Homo sapiens, uh, had to do with the addition of magic mushrooms to their diet. According to his theory, it took place about 100,000 years ago. He based his theory on the main effects or the alleged effects produced by the mushrooms, while citing studies by Roland Fisher from the late 1960s to the early 70s. So basically, in a nutshell, this is what he's saying. McKenna said, 100,000 years ago, Africa, for the most part, was a tropical rainforest. It was a jungle. But it began to go through a transformation to deserts, mm -hmm. like we see in large portions of northern Africa now. 
And so the human forerunners were forced from the tropical canopy out into the desert to look for food sources. He believed that they would have been following large herds of wild cattle. Now, wild cattle poop a lot. Mm-hmm. And so their dung was everywhere, and it harbored the insects that he proposed were undoubtedly part of their new diet. So basically, when the desert started taking over parts of Africa, our ancient ancestors survived by eating insects from cow dung. Mm-hmm. It was also a great place for mushrooms to uh, to grow because they're dung-loving mushroom, and they're often found growing in cow poo. I've heard of that. You've heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. Not that you've ever partaken in magic mushrooms. Oh, no, I did once. Uh, did you? Yeah, once Oh, time. that's the time you ended up on the roof of the Sheraton. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. That's right. Uh, never again. Uh, I turn into a terrible worrywart when I'm high, <laughs> uh, and I'm very concerned about everyone else's well-being. How you ended up on the roof at the Sheraton is beyond me then, but but there you go. That's the magic of magic mushrooms. <laughs> so McKenna hypothesized that uh, there were different effects. If they had a low dose of magic mushrooms, it would improve their visual acuity, and that would make them better hunters. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I've heard a lot of people say, like, I drive better when I'm stoned. And uh, I don't believe that. No. I don't believe it for a moment. I think probably they may have thought they were better at hunting. (laughs) I see everything, man. He said it would improve visual acuity, particularly edge detection, meaning that the presence of uh, psilocybin in the diet of early pack hunting primates caused the individuals who were consuming mushrooms to be better hunters than those who were not, resulting in an increased food supply and in turn a higher rate of reproductive success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Then at a slightly higher dose, he said that mushrooms act to sexually arouse, leading to higher levels of attention, more energy and potential uh, stronger erections for men. And that, of course, gave them an evolutionary advantage as well. At a slightly higher dose than that, McKenna proposed that the mushrooms would have acted to, quote, dissolve boundaries, promoting community bonding, group sexual activities. Consequently, there would be a mixing of genes, greater genetic diversity, communal sense of responsibility for the group offspring. Oh, so orgies are what created our society as we know it. It it could be. Mushrooms and orgies. At still higher doses, McKenna argued that psilocybin would be triggering activity in the, quote, language-forming region of the brain, manifesting as music and visions thus catalyzing the emergence of language in the early hominids by expanding their evolved repertoire of troop signals. So they were communicating through visual signs and that sort of thing, but Mm -hmm. the mushrooms made them far more creative. Sure, as they do. He also pointed out that the uh, psilocybin would dissolve the ego and the religious concerns would be at the forefront of the tribe's consciousness. Simply because the power, because of the power and the strangeness of the experience itself. Now think about this. Primitive man, he doesn't know really what's going on other than I need to eat and I need to poop mm-hmm. and I need to have sex. Not necessarily in that order. No. It's always better to have sex before you poop. It's all part of evolution. Read up on it. It's Darwinism, for God's sake. But by eating these mushrooms, all of a sudden they're hearing music <laughs> and they have no idea what that is. Or they're having visions. And he... Dude, is that Crosby, Stills, and Nash? <laughs> And soldiers and Nixon's coming. Wow, dude. Dude, it's awesome. 
I feel like I need to paint on the cave wall. Actually, that's where he says cave painting came from. It was a stoned out early hominid trying to recreate what he was seeing in his mind by drawing it on the cave wall. I don't understand. Like all these, I can see how like mushrooms would create these behaviors in like a prude. But, you know, like (laughs) a regular person already wants to do these things, right? Like most people have a need to express themselves. You don't need to get high for that. Well, not not nowadays, but 100,000 years ago before art. How did art get invented? Stoned apes. What you had was a homo erectus who was shrooming. So McKenna said that uh, because of access to an ingestion of mushrooms, it gave humans an evolutionary advantage over other hunter-gatherer ancestors. Also, providing humanity's first religious impulse, they eat shrooms and they're like, What's it mean? What does this mean? (laughs) (laughs) He believed that cybacillin mushrooms were the evolutionary catalyst. All right, I can get on board that. Which helped us to create language, Projective imagination, the arts, religion, philosophy, science, and all of human culture sprang from this. McKenna's hypothesis concerning the influence of psilocybin mushrooms on human evolution is known as the stoned ape theory. Now, this might surprise you. This came out, this book came out in the early 90s. It might surprise you that a lot of scientists uh, poo-pooed that theory. No. Yeah, Well, I hopefully know. after the sex. Now, let me ask this. Did Lorraine McKenna... Um, Terrence McKenna. Was he known to partake in shrooms himself? <laughs> because I would guess, yeah. Terrence McKenna was a proponent for psychedelics. Oh, okay. Let's put it that did way. Did he have a farm? Because this sounds like a very... <laughs> he was kind of... He was kind of in the same group as Timothy Leary and Aldous Huxley, early adopters of of psychedelics. So McKenna died in in 2000. And according to an article from Inverse, passionately believed in this hypothesis, but it was never seriously considered by the scientific community during his lifetime. However, that is changing. At a talk in April... At the Psychedelic Science 2017 conference, which is a scientific conference on psychedelics and attended by leading researchers and therapists and artists who believe in the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. Sure. It renewed an interest in this theory. Paul Stamets is a noted psilocybin mycologist. He advocated for the stoned ape hypothesis in his talk, Psilocybin Mushrooms and the Mycology of of Consciousness. He said, quote, I present this to you because I want to bring back the concept of the stoned ape hypothesis. This is really important for you to understand that there was a sudden doubling of the human brain 100,000 years ago. From an evolutionary point of view, that's an extraordinary expansion. And there is no explanation for this sudden increase in the human brain. So he lays out the tenets of the stoned ape hypothesis that McKenna and his brother Dennis shaped. Stamets paints a portrait of primates descending from African canopies, traveling across the savannas, and coming across the largest psilocybin mushroom in the world, growing bodaciously, as he put it. (laughs) Yep. He said, quote, I suggest to you that Dennis and Terrence were right on. Stamets announced while acknowledging that the hypothesis was perhaps still unprovable. Quote, I want you or anyone listening or seeing this to suspend your disbelief. 
I think this is a very, very plausible hypothesis for the sudden evolution of Homo sapiens from our primate relative. I think if you are advocating for the use of hallucinogens as therapies, Mm -hmm. um, then absolutely you're going to want there to be some sort of precedent that you can point back to and say, look, when our ancestors (laughs) did this, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Um, So I can absolutely see why you would want very much for that to be true. And I'm not saying that it's not true. I can just certainly see why someone in that position would want very much for it to be true. At its best, the stoned ape hypothesis is, as Stamets put it, described it, an unprovable hypothesis that fits some but not nearly all of the knowledge we have about the evolution of consciousness. At its worst, it's a gross oversimplification of the multitude of factors that may have jump-started modern human cognition and consciousness. He said McKenna does deserve credit for sparking the idea in the 1990s that scientists have only recently been able to prove psilocybin does alter consciousness and can trigger physical changes in the brain. Mm -hmm. Regardless of the holes that have been poked in McKenna's scientific logic, Amanda Fielding, founder and director of the Beckley Foundation, a leading psychedelic research think tank, told Inverse in this article that we should look past McKenna's errors and consider his greatest insight. The story of humankind is inseparable from our fascination with psychedelic drugs. Even if early man encountered psychoactive substances closer to the Neolithic period, she says, the experience of entering into an altered state of consciousness likely changed human society for the better. And so whether it really was the one thing that jump-started human consciousness, I think that we can safely say, in all likelihood, that some of our ancient ancestors mistakenly ingested psychedelic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. We can also safely say that it probably freaked them the fuck out. So how did that affect their behavior? Did they they put those two pieces, I eat these mushrooms and I feel this way, Mm. or did they just think, "What, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Is this some sort of a... A presence greater than myself? I always wondered that about early humanity. And when did they figure out that boning equaled pregnancy? That's a great question. Because there's such a gap Mm. of time there, you know, and... There are still some people, I'm pretty sure, that haven't put those two things (laughs) together. That's true. So we shouldn't judge. But anyway, um, mushrooms made us smarter. Mm. I just read a book about uh, microdosing. Yeah. And how in therapeutic sessions in an environment of research, they are finding that microdosing has become very effective in dealing with depression and anxiety. Yeah, Yeah, there are a lot of really interesting studies into uh, microdosing of a lot of different things. Um, LSD is is one of them um, to treat epilepsy Mm -hmm. and other issues. Mm -hmm. It's, It's interesting for sure. Well, psychedelics have been used throughout history as either a medicinal substance or one that would trigger spiritual Mm. um, experiences like the ayahuasca ceremonies in South America or the peyote ceremony. Yeah, as soon as you said going out into the desert, I thought peyote. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) I was chasing that white dog, you know. You know, a little (laughs) Carlos Carlos Castaneda moment (laughs) for us there. Oh, I love you. 
what, that I've read Castaneda? Yeah. I was on such a Castaneda kick at one point in my life. I read... Well, you were also getting high a lot at that point. <laughs> so let's be fair. <laughs> I think I blew through the first six books. Blue is a really good term. No, wait, that's choose. not true. <laughs> no. The first six Carlos Castaneda books. I think the la- I started out with a yaki way of living, and the last one I read was The Eagle's Gift. But I, I probably read 1,800 pages of Castaneda all at once. In one sitting? I'm not sure if it was one sitting, uh, because I lost all sense of time. <laughs> sure. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, absolutely amazing. Fallon posted on our Facebook group... Freaks, a Box of Oddities podcast. Storytime. Share your funny slash awkward dating stories. I'm sure all of us freaks must have a few. And these got incredible. Too many for us to read. Some of them too lengthy to read. But absolutely something that you should check out. It's a delight. Number five. Jacob writes, Back about 15 years ago, I moved back to my old stomping grounds to help my folks out. I started getting chatted up by a lass decidedly younger than my normal comfort zone. After good-natured pressuring from friends, I went out on a movie and dinner date. Things were going swimmingly. She invited me back to her place for coffee. While she was in the kitchen, I looked around the living room. That's when I saw a picture that made my heart drop. Is this a picture of you and your older sister? I asked, knowing full well the older lass in the pic was an only child. Yep, it turns out I had dated her mom in the 80s. Ouch! Okay, then. Number four, Shelly writes, I went on a date with a guy when I was about 19 years old. At the end of the date, we kissed and he squeezed me so tight that I farted. His reply was, it's okay. I didn't even know girls farted until I was 21. Number three, Carrie writes, someone I once knew took a girl home and she went into his bathroom, ate some of his hair, presumably from his hairbrush, and came back to inform him that she had his DNA and that she was a forensic scientist and had a pact with her co-workers that if any of them went missing after a date, they'd check each other's stomachs during the autopsy. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, Laura said, I met a guy on Match and we went on one date. He was pretty nice at first, but got super handsy as the evening wore on, despite no physical response from me. I made an excuse to leave, and as he was walking me to my car, he declared, I'm going to masturbate violently when I get home. Some guys just have a way with words. Right? That's nice. And number one, Stephanie says, I met a guy online. We decided to meet and go for a walk. About 10 or 15 minutes in, he told me that I had to go to a hotel with him, completely out of the blue. No preamble or discussions of this sort up to this point. When I inquired as to why I would do that before getting to know each other better, he told me how he had to, quote, try me out to see how I performed before considering going out for drinks, dinner, etc. And definitely before he spent money. Oh, He spent the next 15 minutes while we were walking back to my car, trying to convince me that everyone did dating that way. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, No. 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 The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. 
and you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The podcast that got on the scale this morning and went, oh, shit. This is The Box of Oddities. We got an email from Trenton and Blythe. Howdy there, you beautiful freak leaders. High above all, my fiance and I were watching a cheesy MTV Scream show the other night, and we started to ask about the name of one of the characters. It went from, do you remember his name, to what the hell was his name, till we got to the point where we were going, and I bust out laughing at her as I shouted out, you sound just like Cat in the Shower, trying to remember Lee Greenwood's name. Um, We spent the next five minutes in hysterical laughter going, and and don't worry, we never did remember the guy's name. Oh, no. Thanks for all you guys do. You fill up so much of our time from driving out of town to rock hounding to driving six hours a day doing Uber Eats delivery. Oh, that's God's work. Much love. Trenton and Blythe. What do you got for me? Tis your turn, my lady. I want to talk to you about the people of Piornal in Spain gather to celebrate the Jaramplas Festival. The festival can last a few days, but the main event of which happens on one day, and it involves a colorful monster, Jaramplas, who has horns and plays a drum, being chased through the streets by thousands of town folk who are pelting him with turnips. <laughs> Why have I not heard of this? <laughs> And when can we go? I I know we've said this many times, but we need to go to this festival. We have to see this. Well, another thing that we've said many times is how much we enjoy a good turnip pelting. I just enjoy a turnip pelt. Like you get the skin oh, just, yeah, just right, right and sure. then you put it over your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps you warm during the winter months. Turnip pelt. Part of Cat's vegetable fall and winter ensemble. The Haramplas gets ready for the challenge from the 19th to the 20th of January. In the morning, he puts on his costume, armor, and a mask. Uh, underneath the costume is protective gear, um, which is actually a relatively new development. So he goes through the streets of Piornal while playing his tambourine or drum. Uh, during the tour, the neighbors and and oftentimes and more recently tourists will throw vegetables at him. It is most often turnips, but not exclusively turnips. Oh, it can be other vegetables. That's as right. Well. Gourds very popular. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a root vegetable or. I think a gourd. I, uh, no, it doesn't have to be. Okay. Uh, like tomatoes it wouldn't work. It wouldn't hurt as much though. I don't think that's a concern of theirs. I see. At all. What's this character's name again? Huffalump? Harumplus. Harumplus. It's J A R R A M P L A S. Harumplus. Harumplus. That's uh, I assume. I couldn't find a single video with it being pronounced. So, so. is there like a cottage industry that produces harumplus uh, protective gear? There's not. They have to make it, of course, mm. because this happens in one place once a year. So right. there's not really a market a for market. it to be made okay. en masse. Is, is Harumphlas uh, a different person every year? Or it is. Or is there a village Harumphlas? There, there is a new one every year. Okay. And is are they elected? How do, how do they select? They are chosen. They're chosen. Yeah. Okay. Against their will? 
Um, no, you have to sign up. Who would sign up to be pelted with turnips? Uh, we're getting there. I mean, do you, are are we going to do this? Or I are have, you just going to? I have a lot of questions. Well, many of them will be answered if you would let me speak. All right. All right. The Harumplus tries to avoid being hit, and the goal is to be able to withstand the the root vegetable slash gourd punishment as long as you can. So mm. he tries to continue through the streets as long as he can, and that's how long the festival lasts, is how long he can handle being attacked <laughs> this way. Has anybody died? <laughs> Not that I know of. Okay. No. That would be a horrible end to the festival. And it would be difficult to get somebody to volunteer the following year. Well, um, it, it has been difficult before. For the last few years especially, the festival is gaining popularity. It's becoming a much more uh, hyped up event, especially for tourists. And the usage of turnips has increased quite a bit during this time, which is another reason why it's important that protective gear be added to the costume. Around 22 tons of turnips were thrown at the most recent Harumplas Festival. 20, how much? 22 tons. 22 tons. Well, at least it wasn't all at once. It's, yeah. Still 22 tons. Yeah, over the course of a morning. <laughs> We have to go see this. I know. So finally, Harumplas, you know, he he can't he can't go on forever. So uh, what he does is throws down his drumsticks, and at that point, the pelting stops. Is there a penalty if he throws his a... drumsticks down and they and then he gets pelted by one stray turnip? I don't think it, there's a penalty, but I think it's looked down upon I for see. sure. Uh-huh. Um, at this point, a group of the town folk will rush forward and help lift the heavy mask off of the haramplas. The, the costume itself can weigh around 100 pounds. And inside, of course, is this tiny little person <laughs> who's covered in turnip pulp and sweat and is probably in an incredible amount of pain. Not to mention the internal bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) The turnip-induced internal bleeding. Generally, at this point, he will be raised up onto the shoulders of the townsfolk, and he is paraded about because he is the most important, beloved, celebrated person in the town at that moment. It, he is just treasured. My thought is, if you've been pult, if you've been pelted with twenty-two tons of turnips, the last thing you want to do is be jostled about by merry villagers. It's how they celebrate him. Wow! No one knows exactly how this specific celebration came to be. So they don't even know why they're doing it? But Sebastian Diaz Iglesias, who is an anthropologist, he wrote his doctoral thesis on this ritual, says that, yeah, no, no one knows exactly where it came from. Uh, But they are, uh, the root of the theory is boiled down to three theories. So the Harumplas could be a Christian warrior despised by people during uh, the Muslim domination, as in referenced in the San Sebastian biography. Um, the other is believed that he was a martyr killed by the Jewish for not renouncing Christianity. And finally, the most widely spread legend is the story of a man or werewolf who was punished after having repeatedly stolen and killed cattle in the neighborhood. So the town folk, you know, it's kind of a representation of the town folk driving the evil away uh, with what they had on hand, which would have been root veg. 
Uh, Diaz doubts that the festival actually has a single origin. He said that it's probably a combination of pagan and Christian traditions uh, with some other stuff mixed in. And as I said, it is an honor to be the Haramplas. The role can only be performed by a local. And it is such an honor that parents sign up their babies for this yeah. So it's it can take decades to be to become wow. to be chosen to be the Haramplas. The waiting list is about twenty years. For uh, those who have been chosen, it's an incredible honor. The festival is very meaningful to the residents of the town, even though they don't exactly know why. And <laughs> <laughs> women are not barred from becoming Haramplas. But due to the armor and the helmet and the gorminess of the situation, mm-hmm. the attack on the character, they're, they're just not. Women are just not harumplus. All right. They haven't been officially banned from harumplusing. Right. That's right. Um, there is, though, um, recently become a, like, kids version of the Haramplas, and women are... It's like the junior circuit? Kind of. Like, like you know how um, I do the Tough Mountain obstacle course mm-hmm. at Sugarloaf? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go up the hill, and you go over the things, and under the things, and it's in the water, and it's cold, and it's hot, and ah, it's all the things. And they have a kids version, where you get the kids out there, and it's like, oh, you've got to run through this pool, and oh, you got to... <laughs> kind of like that. I see. Um, and in these cases, uh, there have been women harumplas, but only for the kids to throw turnips at. I see. They still use turnips, though. Do they Do they regulate the size of the turnips when it's... So you th- get kid-sized turnips? Yeah. Uh, not that I know of, wow. but that's a great question. And maybe they consider that while sorting through the 22 tons. 22 tons. So imagine this. You're born. Your parents sign you up to be harumplas. Harumplas. Haram, haram, plus, 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 haram, plus. And you don't know anything about it because, you know, you just shot out of the birth cannon. Right. And you get to be 20 years old and they start fitting you with your protective gear. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you signed me up for what? I have to do what? They've lived in this town their whole lives. They've been a part of the festival 20 times at that point. They know, they know what's up. And they also know how they will be celebrated afterwards. All right. I mean, you know, that guy gets some. You're saying that there's a contingency of harumplas groupies? Yeah, but probably not for a couple of days because he's pretty battered up at the end of the day. <laughs> there have been like severe injuries, wow. um, bruising, broken stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> you snap off your root vegetables. not great. <laughs> Um, there is a museum of the Haramplas, fully interactive. The festival is explained through panels and digital screens. There's also uh, sounds and different types of music that's played during the festival, theories about the origin of the festival. It also has a collection of festival-related objects, like previously worn masks and costumes. And there's also a life-size Haramplas model in the center of the attraction it, that is typical of his, you know, represented posture, which is kind of hunched over because it's really heavy. I would imagine It's a really heavy costume. I wonder if they have like practice sessions before the actual event where they dress somebody up like Haramplas. Oh, I'm sure that there is some practice time because you have to be, you know. Like a driving range. You have to be able to run away. Sure. And uh, 
since the armor has been added, I guess it is a lot harder to run away. So it kind of equals out because <laughs> yeah, okay. um, you can't tootle yeah. as quickly. No. In the mid 20th century, uh, Spain's pagan festivals began to be seen as old fashioned and people wanted more modern things and the haramplas almost died out. In the 1970s, there was a year when no one had wanted to be the haramplas. The year uh, without haramplas? The, the person chosen was like, no. And <laughs> you signed me up for what? So there was, <laughs> there was uh, the person who had done it the year prior volunteered to do it again. So they did, oh. it's still, it has been going on continuously every year. That's crazy. Um, but more recently, it's become a very popular festival. Well, and we're going. We absolutely have to go. I got most of my information for this from Turismo Extremadura. From Extreme Tourism. Atlas Obscura, Cottonell Recall information. <laughs> Wait, no, that was a whole different... <laughs> that's a whole different story we need to tell. No, I don't want to. <laughs> we got a notification from Sam's Club because, you know, with this pandemic and everything, we stocked up on toilet been, paper and, and butt wipes. We've been buying in bulk. And we've been buying in bulk. Well, you know, we're not hoarding or anything. We're just preparing for the uh, for the winter. And we bought, uh, you know, some of those Cottonelle butt wipes. And apparently there has been a recall because they're laced with some sort of bacteria. <laughs> Unfortunately, you'd already used some of them. Yep. yep and uh, you had right. to go to the doctor. I did. Mm. I did. It was really fun because I called the phone number that was given and uh, a lovely young man answered the phone. He was like, Cottonelle, how can I help you? And I was like, um, so I bought some contaminated wipes and I, I put them all over my vulva. And, and I'm itchy. <laughs> and he was like, okay, okay. And uh, we went through the whole thing, and I was just like, the whole time, this guy has to be just mortified that repeatedly he has to answer the phone. Can you imagine being given that job? Woman after woman after woman is calling, going, I put this on my parts. <laughs> but the good news is- I'm uh, fine. You're fine. Just and... really skeezed out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, want to thank, uh, thank a few people for some- stuff that they did. Oh my gosh. We got a wonderful package from Olivia and Apple, a lovely combo of beer and coffee, like two of my very favorite things <laughs> in the whole wide world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. King State beers, uh, we haven't dipped into because I'm doing Sober October, so um, I'm making you wait for me. Yeah, it's not fair, but okay. Also, we just got a box from Crafty Beer Maven, who is a globally renowned uh, beer vlogger. We haven't opened it yet, Crafty Beer Maven, but thank you so much. Yeah, we just picked it up we like legit an hour ago. Just picked it up. Um, also, big thanks to Josh Vidmer, who is an author who wrote the Stryker books. Uh, there is a V after Stryker, and I don't know if that's supposed to be pronounced V or five. And I should have asked, but I didn't uh, because I'm a failure as a human. <laughs> But, oh my gosh, so the third book of this series, the, he put little flags in to the, the pages of the book, and on each of those pages is a little reference to the Box of Oddities. Yeah, he's, he's woven in Box of Oddity-isms. It blew my mind. I cannot, I'm overwhelmed, overwhelmed. 
overwhelmed with how amazeballs that is. And I cannot wait to read these. Also, thanks to those of you who are supporting us on Patreon. If uh, you have not supported us on Patreon and you have a desire to perhaps support us on Patreon, then you can go to patreon.com slash box of oddities and uh, all kinds of benefits. And uh, we're about to release our home phone number. Yep, and a bonus episode should be dropping in the next few days, so it's a good time to get up on there. We look forward to seeing you guys next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.